The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. What a whirlwind of a week. Uh, I don't know if, how you guys felt about it, but it was kind of like this escalating thing that just seemed to kind of keep building throughout the week. And, and uh, particularly for those of you who are in any sort of uh, a management position where you have to worry about a business or you have to worry about a school or you have to worry about, you know, massive amounts of people, like everything changed within the last week because of uh, the elevated awareness of uh, COVID-19, the, the, the coronavirus. And, you know, the back and forth decision-making this week has been insane. <laughs> it's just been absolutely crazy. I've talked with several people who are just, just wrestling with decision fatigue in general of like, okay, I don't, like, do I get toilet paper? Do I not get toilet paper? Do I, do I go out in public? Do I not get, go out in public? You know, can I just drag myself across the lawn? Is that okay? You know, like, what, what does this look like, right? And uh, in the middle of that, people, I think, have, have felt the real pains of fear uh, in processing how to proceed. And then you add to that just the back and forth of information, just trying to drill down to like, okay, so what is true, what is real, and what what is there? Is this all a great conspiracy theory that was propagated by the the makers of Clorox and hand sanitizer? Uh, Is there a real threat out there in the world that we should all be concerned about? And then, you know, have, of course, a lot of people get their news from social media, and so you have the online back and forth of people who have no qualifications whatsoever arguing points uh, from their, their point of view where they say, oh, you know, this is all just a big scare. It's all going to blow over. And then, you know, others that are like, no, this is the end of the world as we know it. And just the back and forth, like torture. It's like mental ping pong, I think, for people. And it's interesting how fear has the ability to sharpen our senses on the one hand and to dull them on the other. You may ask, well, how how is it that fear does that? I'm I'm glad that you asked. I want to tell you. (laughs) God has made us in a a pretty amazing, amazing way. so we have this, this part in the brain called the amygdala, and it, it is the fear center of the brain. Um, it, it, it is the part of the brain that takes stimulus, it takes information that we gather, and, and then assigns fear value to the stimulus. It's the part that, that wakes up the rest of the body that you are in danger and that you need extra help in the moment. Um, it pays special attention to certain details in life. Maybe a good way to illustrate this, do you guys remember the recent documentary, perhaps you saw it, called Free Solo? Anybody see that documentary? Uh, it's about a guy named Alex Honnold. Um, he is a free solo climber, and he, he set out to conquer the, free, the first free solo climb of the famed El Capitan in Yosemite, which is a three, 
a thousand foot vertical climb. And, and free solo means that he doesn't have any ropes. There's no safety gear whatsoever. And, um, and he doesn't have any assistance either. He's not, there's no backup plan. Like you, you get up 1,500 feet and you slip and fall and you're, you die, right? And so he's going to climb this. And it's about his journey of gearing up to make this giant climb. Now, in the middle of that, his friends who are like filming this documentary, they're, they're totally freaked out. They're like, I, you know, I, I, I love Alex, but I, I can't, I'm wrestling with the reality of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be filming my friend watching him plummet to his death off the face of this mountain. And there, there's parts where the filmmakers themselves are, they like back away, like, I don't know if I can do this. I, man, I, don't, I just don't know if I can do this. <laughs> and they're wrestling with that. But Alex, on the other hand, doesn't seem to have that at all. Uh, and his friends are curious about it. Like, what is going on in Alex's brain? And uh, so uh, as a part of the documentary, they decide to have him go and, and go through some brain scans. And what they discovered is that the part of the brain that is supposed to activate him towards fear, in him, it, it sort of has a delayed reaction. It doesn't work the same as it does in what is normative for other people. So one of the interesting discoveries in this documentary was that uh, his amygdala was, was like misfiring or, or limited in its firing. It took a greater stimulus in order for his amygdala to fire to where he would all of a sudden be afraid. It was, took more stimulus to make him fearful. Now, uh, I, I say that to say you know, wouldn't it be nice in some ways if we all had less fear to deal with uh, as a part of just living in the world? But, but fear serves a really amazing purpose in the wisdom of God. Uh, for instance, I was hiking in the Trinities at one point, and I'm, I'm backpacking and make my way down, and all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, right next to my feet, I hear a rattlesnake kick off. And I, I'm like, I can't tell exactly where it's coming from. I can't see it. But when it kicks off, I know immediately what that sound is. And next thing you know, I got my, you know, 75-pound uh, pack on or whatever because I like to bring cast iron with me, apparently. And I, I'm, like, high-stepping down the trail like, you know, an idiot making my way down the trail uh, because I'm like, it's going to bite my ankle. Now, how long did it take for my brain to figure that out? It was instantaneous. But behind the scenes, something really amazing is happening. This part of the brain, the amygdala, is responsible for assigning fear value to the information that your brain receives. Its responsibility is to kick off the sympathetic nervous system through the hypothalamus and, uh, and, and to protect you if there is a reason to be afraid for your life. It, it takes you from a nice gentle walk down the mountain to high-stepping through the woods like an idiot with your giant pack on because you realize your life is in, in danger in some way. Now in Alex, that part, is, it doesn't work. So whereas a normal person gets 20 feet off the ground on a rock face and goes, you know, this doesn't feel safe. I probably should get back down. Alex goes, well, why don't we go to 3,000 feet? Shouldn't be that big of a deal. Well, the hypothalamus then kicks 
kickstarts the pituitary gland, which kickstarts the adrenal gland, pumps adrenaline into the bloodstream. From there, a whole bunch of cascading effects happen throughout the body. When adrenaline enters the bloodstream, the heart rate elevates, breathing shallows, the blood vessels near the surface of the skin begin to constrict, which causes the hair to stand on end because your skin itself is constricting. Uh, your body does this thing called shunting where it takes blood from your vital organs and pushes it to your extremities, to your arms and legs, so that if you need to run for your life, you have ample supply of blood to be able to do that. In addition to that, cortisol is pumped into the bloodstream as well, and a hormone called ACTH that helps increase blood sugar, blood pressure, and white blood cells in case you get injured. And all of this is happening boom, like super, super fast. And this hormone cocktail shuts down the digestive system. It dries the palate. You stop making saliva and you stop making tears. And that's why if you become afraid, your mouth gets really dry. That's the result of this hormone cocktail that's running through your blood. Your pupils dilate and and then something really interesting happens in the brain. What happens in the brain is that the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain that is, is supposed to like problem solve and is supposed to um, be, be rational and help you think through a situation, your brain basically sort of shuts down or turns down the dial on the prefrontal cortex so that your rational problem-solving part is not able to, to send information as easily to the limbic system or the emotional part of the brain. And again, this serves a purpose because when a rattlesnake is trying to bite your ankle, like you don't want to be calculating, well, if I run in a northwesterly direction at 6.3 miles, like you don't want to do any of that, right? You want to react immediately to be able to preserve your life and for safety. The problem is, is that as a result of that, you run in any direction. It doesn't matter because <laughs> you're not thinking about it. And you're not thinking about, wow, is there a cliff over here or is there a stick that's going to trip me? You just like take off running, right? That is the way that fear activates your body. So in the end, your body is primed for action with an extra blood supply, adrenaline, oxygen supply. Your brain focuses energy on the threat at hand. The eyes focus intently, looking for the enemy, looking for the threat. And the brain drives all the other information that is not related to fear into the background of your thinking. And you slow the energy of the prefrontal cortex in, in order that you can focus on survival. I I don't know if you have sensed that in the last week. Perhaps maybe you're one of those people who has encountered fear in the last week. Where you were going about your normal daily routine and then you hear that the government is shutting the border and you go, oh, okay, that's strange and that's, that's weird. And then you hear that the state government is limiting the capacity of people and then schools are shutting down and all these different things are happening. And then pretty soon you find yourself online like some sort of, you know, crackhead, like zooming through information, like how serious is this? What's going on? And the fear is being active and you are just solely focused. You can't think about anything else. What do I need to do in order to be safe? 
to keep the people around me safe. What do I need? And, and all of our focus about like life and everything just zooms down to some very simple and basic things. That is the presence of fear in our lives. So, in Alex, this function in the brain was slow to work. It makes him an excellent rock climber, but also limits his other abilities to connect with humans in different ways. It makes him slightly detached as a person and, 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 and prone to be detached in human relationships. In others, the brain can become overactivated. That is, once that fear response happens, if you've got trauma in particular, that fear response kicks off and makes you hypervigilant as a consequence of that. And so for instance, you might pull up to Costco and realize that everyone around you wants to take all of the toilet paper. And, and you're convinced that it is necessary to have ample supply of toilet paper in order for you to survive. And so immediately that fear response kicks off and your thought is race all of the other people to the toilet paper aisle, push over old ladies, make sure that you are the first one there because your toilet paper matters more than anyone else's. The part of your brain that deals with problem solving is ignored and you don't think about the consequences or the way that those things impact other people around you. Can anyone relate to seeing some of this happen in the last week? You know, last Sunday we started talking about Paul in a moment in ministry where he was beginning to shut down in fear. And As he was beginning to shut down, Jesus had to come and intervene in Paul's life in a very particular way. He he had to come and reassure Paul. And so he came to Paul in a vision. We pick this up in Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And so he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. I want us to see something from this passage. Just a couple of reminders that I think are helpful and powerful for us to grab a hold of in a season where fear is prevalent in our world. First of all, I want you to see the heart of Jesus. Notice here that Jesus cares. He cares, first of all, about Paul's fears. Paul is worried that if he continues to speak, as he has done in other places, that that once again, he's going to face radical persecution. Remember, he's been beaten with rods. He's been stoned and left for dead. He had to be lowered in a basket outside of the city walls. He has been through it. He's been in prison, has had his feet put in stocks. He's been sick. 
In 2 Corinthians, he details for us all the different things that he'd gone through. He says, perils of my own countrymen, perils out in the wilderness, and sometimes I had food, and sometimes I didn't. And, you know, I, he just, I, was, I, I spent a day and a night shipwrecked in the ocean, which we haven't gotten to in Acts yet, but that's another trial that's waiting for him in the future. This guy just, he went through so much stuff for the sake of the gospel, and he's like, maybe in just a season of fear, going like, I, I don't know what the future holds, and I'm just tired. I'm tired of feeling afraid of what's going to happen next. And, and I want you to see something here. I, I would imagine that being God is a very um, busy job. You know, holding the universe together and... Uh, making sure that all the molecules don't split apart and, you know, the whole universe burst into a ball of flames. I, I would assume that that's somewhat of a full-time job. And then, you know, there's the management of heaven, everything that goes on there. And then the, the structure of the earth and the laws of the universe that are held together by his wisdom and by his power, and he, he sustains all of that. One of the amazing things about our infinite God is he has infinite capacity to give his infinite attention to our minuscule and finite lives. God hears the heart and the fear of Paul. And he comes with a, just a way to comfort him. And, and, and his way of comfort is a supernatural event. It's a vision that is given to Paul. But, but God says, okay, Paul, your heart matters to me. And so I'm going to come and meet you in your fear. I'm going to come and be, be present with you. I want you to know I see your fear. I see what's happening in your heart. And I just want to reassure you that you don't have to be afraid. See, Jesus cares about our fears. Not only that, but it, but it demonstrates that Jesus cares about our suffering because, you know, the, the big obstacle that Paul is facing is, like, am I going to be persecuted by continuing to talk about Jesus? And Jesus comes to him and says, hey, listen, you continuing to talk about me might bring trouble, but I, I just want you to know I am with you in the middle of that. For right now, you don't have to be afraid. I'm not going to let anybody hurt you in this particular season in life. I'm going to give you rest in this. I'm going to intervene supernaturally so that you are supernaturally protected by me in this season. Because, Paul, I, I see your weariness. And I want to ease your suffering. I want to ease your suffering. God cares about our fears. He cares about our suffering. And thirdly, he cares about the loss. We see that he says, I have many in the city, verse 10, who are my people. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. God cares about the lost. The fourth thing that we could see is that God is present. 
The reason that Paul doesn't need to be afraid is because Jesus is with him no matter what he goes through. He holds Paul's hand through the suffering that Paul goes through. He is with his people in the midst of the fire. He is present in the storm when the disciples are going through the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Again and again, we see that that Jesus is present with his people to let them know that they are not alone, that he is not distant from the things that they are afraid of or the things that they're suffering or the things that they are going through, that he is deeply involved and that it is personal to him. And in the end, God quieted the fears of Paul by reminding him of these powerful truths. God wanted Paul to stay put, to keep speaking the gospel because he had many people in that city that needed to hear of the hope that believers have in Jesus. So in the last week, we've been wrestling with decision-making, right? Like, do we continue to have service? And a lot of churches are shutting down, and, and that's totally understandable because this virus is spread through uh, gatherings of people. It's spread person to person through, through contact. And it, it's, there's such an overlap in the time in which you contract it and to the time where you start showing symptoms that by the time the data catches up and there's people that are, are being reported as being infected or confirmed, uh, there's already lots of people that are being infected because of the, the overlap in time. And so our government has taken action, and we've been encouraged to limit our gatherings, and we, we definitely in surrender to the commands of Jesus and to the, to the commands of Scripture. We want to be in compliant with that. At the same time, if there is any time in our recent history that people need to know that this life is not all that there is. It is right now. If there is any time that people need to be reassured that the gospel is true, that the universe has not changed, that Jesus is still on the throne, that life is still eternal, and that one day we'll stand before Jesus, it is the present circumstance. So we don't know what that will mean for the future. We don't know if the services will have to go to just remote online services or if you will have to gather with your family or your small group or, or whatever. We, we don't know what that's going to look like, but we know this. God has called us to continue to speak the hope that we have in Jesus regardless of what happens in the world around us. That's the call. And if there is any time where it is especially important for us as believers to speak the truth of what Jesus has done for us, it is in a moment like this right now. Why? Because fear has a way of focusing our attention. Right now, at a global level, the world is having to grapple with their own mortality. They are having to think about the fact that this life is not all that they have. And we have an opportunity to speak into that. The hope of the gospel. 
just like Paul did. Hey, don't be afraid. Keep speaking the gospel. I am with you, and there's a lot of people that are going to be affected by your continuing to do what I've called you to do, Paul. Brothers and sisters, if I could encourage you in anything, you have a platform for the eternal hope of Jesus that really is a gift from God that we have never, ever had in our lifetimes on a global scale. People's attention is narrow to the point where they are wrestling with their own mortality. What an opportune time for us to speak into it. So, speak. And keep speaking. And talk about Jesus and what he's done. And you might say to me this morning, hey, uh, Jeremy, that, that sounds great uh, for Paul. That's all well and good for, for Paul. But Paul had a promise that no harm would come to him. <laughs> Paul had a promise that, you know, he, he wasn't uh, going to have any harm. But, but us continuing to have contact with people could put us at risk. And, and I'm certainly not promoting that we would be foolish or unwise in those things. But as you have opportunity, as God puts you into contact with people, I would encourage you, be bold about your faith in Jesus. You say, well, I, I don't have that promise, and the stuff that's going on in the world right now is scary, and I, and I, and I find myself, like Paul, wrestling with fear myself. Like, what, what, what do I do? How do I respond? What, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for us? I, I, if I could, I'd, I'd love to just encourage you with an illustration that was given by Don Carson a few years ago that I think is extremely powerful for a moment like this. I, I want you to just think back. I want you to imagine the first Passover. You know that moment in Israel's history where there were the plagues of Egypt. The final plague that came was this angel of death that would sweep over the household and every firstborn within that household would be taken. And so God gave to his people a prescription. He said, hey, apply the, the blood of a lamb on the doorpost and on the sap, on the lentil, and, and go in, eat this final meal, and eat it with your, your clothes ready to go, your walking stick in your hand, and don't even like, wait for the yeast to rise in the bread. Have the bread just like a cracker. You know, like we're, we're, we're out of here in no time at all. This is the final step where you're going to be released to go to the promised land out from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now, I want you to think about that setting, that moment where everybody in the nation knows because God has told Moses to tell Pharaoh, who's disseminated this, this information, and all of the Israelites that death is coming for those who don't have the blood of the Lamb. I want you to imagine a conversation between two Jewish neighbors. We'll call one Chaim, because that's a perfectly Jewish name, and the other one Bob, because that also is a wonderful traditional Jewish name. So Chaim and Bob are sitting down, they're just talking to one another, and, and Chaim says to to Bob, hey, I, 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 don't, I don't know about this, man. I feel afraid. Like, this is a big deal. 
Like, what happening? What is happening outside? It's a big, like, isn't this scary? Bob says, well, what are you talking about? Like, did you, did you slaughter the lamb? Did you apply the blood to the doorpost? Did you do that? Chaim says, yeah, of course I, I, of course I did that. <laughs> you know, I'm going to follow the commands of God, but like, this is a serious thing. People are going to die as a consequence of this. And that's fine for you, Bob. You've got three sons. I only have the one son. He's my only son. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid for what's going to happen. Bob says, well, I don't know what you're afraid of about. Like, if you obeyed God, if, you, if you've done the things that y- you know to do, then, then you should just trust the Lord and everything is going to be fine. Chaim says to, to Bob, I don't think you're taking this seriously. And Bob says to Chaim, uh, I think you're reveling in fear. That night, the death angel came over the people in Egypt. And which of their sons was taken? The answer, of course, is neither of them. Why? Because the effectiveness of salvation was not dependent upon the strength of the person's faith who had applied the blood. It was dependent upon the blood that was applied. So even though Chaim was full of fear and Bob was not, they were both saved by the same blood regardless. The point then is that the sufficiency to save was not dependent upon the strength or fervency of the, face of, the, of the faith of the one who had placed the blood on the doorpost of their house. It was only dependent upon the blood of the Lamb. And you can stand here confidently as a believer in faith, assured that no matter what takes place in the future, God is in control, and even if harm comes, or even if there is some serious outbreak, or even if the hospitals get overwhelmed, or even if bad things happen and the world goes through some trial that is similar to some trial that it has already been through, That if you've put your faith in Jesus, that you have nothing to fear about the future. And you might stand here today confident and reassured of that. And and, and like, okay, God, I know you're in control. Everything is okay. I'm going to heaven. It doesn't matter. Everything is fine. Or you might find yourself more like Chaim. On the other side, where you're wrestling with fear, you might find yourself fearful about the things that can happen. Your mind might be totally focused on the very real and present danger of what is going on around you. But for those that have trusted on Jesus, for those that have believed that God loved them enough to send his son to die in their place, the strength of your confidence in God does not affect at all the effectiveness of his ability to save. And when this plague passes by, when the world is still grappling with whatever the next fear is, you know that when, you know, we're six months down the road and we've kind of 
passed by the swell of the coronavirus and the aftermath of all that has taken place, the world will just find a new thing to be afraid of, right? It'll be, you know, heart disease or cancer, Monsanto, gluten, the overuse of sugar, a whole host of other things. The believer will be able to say, hey, no matter what comes, <laughs> my future is secure. My eternal state of being is locked and sealed. And if I wrestle with fear, if I don't wrestle with fear in that, it doesn't change my destination. Right? I have this anchor for my soul that holds me fast. Now, if you don't believe that, then there is tremendous reason to be afraid because if you don't believe that, then this life is all that you have. And when this fear passes, the fear of gluten will replace it. And the fear of sugar and whatever else, and Monsanto and pesticides, and you, know, you name it, it, it will swoop right in to fill the vacuum because you'll realize, like, this life is the only shot I have at this. And then comes the great nothing, the great void, you might reason. But it, listen, here, here's the deal. If Jesus really did live, if he was a real person, and he really did die, in our place. And he really was raised from the dead on the third day according to the plan of the Father. Then there is an eternal hope that cannot be taken away by a virus or cannot be taken away by suffering. It cannot be taken away by death itself or any other such thing. Why? Because th there is a spiritual virus that has already spread to every human on the planet. Sin. It's already locked us in. It's already held us captive. It already made us its prisoner. And Jesus came and freed us from that virus of sin and death. And our hope is locked because of the assurance that we have in Jesus. We don't have to be afraid of what comes next. Paul would say this to the Corinthians, whether I die or whether I live, it makes no difference to me. <laughs> because of the assurance of, of, of Jesus coming to Paul and speaking to him in a vision, Paul was able to stay and preach for a year and a half before the next trial broke out, before the next thing came along. And he was able to maintain and be faithful because he realized, hey, Jesus is with me. My future is in his hands. God is still on the throne. I am okay in the presence of Jesus no matter what comes. And for the next year and a half, he devoted himself to talking about Jesus without fear. And I wonder, I wonder if in this moment where fear has awakened the world to a sense of danger, 
where it's narrowed its focus, if this might just be the very opportunity that our entire church has been praying for. As we gather week in and week out, asking, God, would you save our neighbors? God, would you work in our neighborhood? God, would you speak to our culture? Would you awaken our world? Would you save? God, would you do something amazing? And right now, everyone is thinking about life. I can't help but wonder if this might be the very answer to our prayers. That this might be the very tool that God uses to bring about the next wave of revival in the world. So, I want to leave you with a couple of encouragements. I want, I want you to take these things to heart. I want you to take the words of Jesus to heart. I, w- I would say this. First of all, don't be afraid. Your future is secure no matter what comes. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have absolute confidence that no matter what happens, that the blood that has been applied to your life through the Lamb of God that was shed for your sins, that your eternal future is secure. Don't be afraid. Second thing I would want you to know is that Jesus is with us, present right now here in our lives. He is, he is here encouraging his people. He's stirring up his body right now across the state and across the country and across the world. Men like myself are bringing the word of God to the people of God and reminding them to stay focused on the hope that they have in the gospel. Reminding them to serve and to love their neighbors. Reminding them. And right now God is stirring up his church and making them aware of the opportunity that he's placed in front of them. That he is with them in the middle of what is happening. And that he can redeem it all for his purpose and for his glory. Third thing I'd want you to say, I want you to know, is keep speaking. (laughs) This isn't the time to shut up. This is the time to be a fanatic, right? This is the time to talk about Jesus and what he's done. Not in a weird sort of like car salesman-y way where like, hey, friend, can I tell you about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? But like, have conversations with the people around you. You, you hear somebody talking about the virus, hey, hey listen, you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell you what I am most concerned about right now. What comes after life? I mean, we're all going to die. That's inevitable. And maybe it's going to be the coronavirus, and maybe it's going to be the, the, that last burger that I ate. I don't know. But we're all headed that direction. What comes next? What comes after that? That's what I'm concerned about. What do you think? Start those conversations. Keep speaking. Why? Because in the words of Jesus, there are many in this city that Jesus cares for. There's a lot of people out there who are not anchored and they are subject to the waves of fear. I keep rolling them over and over again, tossing their life to and fro. There's many in this city that Jesus cares for. So love your neighbor. Buy groceries for the vulnerable. Pray for those who are fearful. Elbow bump people and remind them 
that we have a hope that is eternal in the heavens. That we have a treasure that's laid up for us that moth and rust cannot destroy. That we have a security that cannot be shaken because of the hope for us that is found in Christ Jesus. Amen? I'm going to have the guys come up as we close in worship. I think it would be remiss of us if we did not take this opportunity to pray for our city, to pray for our state, to pray for our country, to pray for the world. And, and I want to ask you to do something that I think is, will require a little bit of bravery and a little bit of faith and confidence in God. I want to ask you to pray and, and, and to say, Jesus, how might you use me in the middle of this crisis? What do you want me to do? What's my part to play? We're in this sort of battlefield, I guess, if you will, of fear. And I just wonder, like, what is your place on the line? I, I wonder, if you, were, if you were to pray today and say, God, would you put people in front of me that need to hear the hope? If maybe the Lord would give you that opportunity. If you just asked, if maybe the Holy Spirit would remind you of that prayer, and all of a sudden your eyes would be open to the opportunities that are all around you on a daily basis in the middle of this crisis to talk about our unshakable hope in Jesus. And because fear has already done the work of sharpening their focus, maybe, just maybe, this might be a time where people will really hear. In the midst of all the noise, their hearts would be awakened to the reality of God's love and the hope that lies within us. Amen? So Father, have your way as we worship, as we pray in our homes and here in the sanctuary, as we commit our lives to you once again and we just say, God, use us. We're, we're your vessels. Do in us what you desire to do. And as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, God, would you, would you speak to our hearts and direct our path? For those who are tuning in or here in the sanctuary that are wrestling with fear, God, would you remind them that their fear doesn't change their eternal state? That their future is secure. For those who are confident in you, who have bold faith and are, are assured of the, of the promise that you've given them that their life, even if they should lose it here on earth, cannot be taken away for eternity. That we will indeed be raised again from the dead to be with you. God, for those folks, I just pray that you would put a fire in their belly to share that hope confidently. God, open our eyes to the needs around us. Show us how we can love people well in this season. God, show us how we can, how we can be involved in being a, an agent of healing and care. God, we open up our hearts.
hearts to you to direct our steps in the coming weeks. And we ask, Lord, that you would provide ample opportunities, not only for those here at Heritage and, and, and those who may, might see this online, but throughout the church in the world. Stir up boldness by the Holy Spirit. Speak, God, through your people. Demonstrate your love through their love for their neighbors. God, work, work, work. Use this, Lord. Let none of it be wasted. So, God, we come to you with our hearts. We pray for our country. Lord. We pray for our city, our state. We ask, Lord, that you would be glorified. That every ounce of suffering that is going on in the world, that every ounce of fear would be redeemed for your glory and for your purpose. Father, we ask that you would revive the hearts of those who have grown cold. And that you would draw all men unto yourself. So God, have your way. Have your way. Have your way. We love you. Thank you for the privilege of being here. Help us to be wise in our, our walking in this world. And we ask, Lord, that we would be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join us in worship and in prayer, and lifting up our city both here in the sanctuary and at home as we continue to do what we have always done in the face of anything that we've ever faced in all of church history. We continue to set our eyes upon Jesus and pray for the world around us and speak the truth in love. Amen. Higher in the mountains that